King Jaehaerys reigned over nearly 60 years of peace and prosperity, but tragedy had claimed both his sons, leaving his succession in doubt. So, in the year 101, the old king called a great council to choose an heir. Over a thousand lords made the journey to Harrenhal. Fourteen succession claims were heard, but only two were truly considered. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew House of the Dragons episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we steal an egg with episode one and two. Yeah, so as we mentioned, we're going to try to cover these two episodes at a time. We have episode one, The Heirs of the Dragon, written by Ryan Condal and directed by Miguel Sapochnik. Great to have him back here. IMDb was at an 8.9, Rotten Tomatoes an 85%. And episode two, The Rogue Prince, written by Condal and directed by Greg Yaitanis, was at an 8.6 and an 83%, so relatively close. The critics say, bearing the weight of a hallowed TV lineage, House of the Dragon won't fully fire viewers up for another Game of Thrones, but solidly sets the board with plenty of blood. A sometimes dazzling, often frustrating, and undeniably assured effort that swings hard and occasionally connects. When it does, it's riveting. So very shortly after the season premiere, we found out that it had almost 10 million viewers, now up to 20 million. That is unprecedented nowadays with scheduled television. Well, it's the most watched series premiere in HBO's history, which is pretty huge. And we're going to discuss this later on, but it has guaranteed them pretty much at least to a season two of this show. Now, there's a lot of back and forths with our listeners, with critics... Game of Thrones fans, and we'll talk about that because I think it's actually very intriguing, and we'll go through that in a little bit. On top of that, it is so hot up here. I normally bring this up, but I stopped. But now we have a fan and an air conditioner going. <laughs> so if you guys hear that, picture it as dragons in the background breathing fire. Yeah, it's literally that hot. I will say it was really good to have the Game of Thrones universe return. I was excited, a little bit skeptical for episode one. I thought they did a solid job. They laid the groundwork pretty well. They mixed it with some exposition, but not too much. Meeting our characters. It honestly, in episode one, did not feel overwhelming. If anything, it felt smaller to me than when we opened with Game of Thrones because we are so focused on this family and what's going on with them. We're not moving around the map to different houses that are in different mm. locations, different statuses of individuals that are in this world. Sure. You know, seeing it through a sellsword's point of view and Tyrion's point of view. <laughs> Episode two, that got a little bit much for me. I was starting to want a bit of that expanded picture. And I thought we were getting a little bit heavy with the amount of names and facts that are kind of thrown at us uh, when I was sort of wishing for a little more dragons. So I was really happy when we got to the latter part of episode two and the action with Damon, what's going on with Matt Smith. I wish they would just put him in more of a focus because he clearly is one of the best characters, most interesting things that's happening right now. Yeah, and that's a double entendre. You said the latter part of the episode. And we have learned that chaos is a ladder. Mm -hmm. And that part of the episode is when the chaos starts. Sorry. Yeah, and it's all <laughs> about the Valerians. We're going to get into these houses and their scheming. I don't know that I'm interested. And so I'll say right off the bat, what I'm struggling with is the immediately sort of, let's say, house to root for, the likable Stark family that sees the 
injustice, kind of points out what's going wrong and yet still wants to bring goodness to the realm. Okay, so you're missing the immediately likable. You know, I the Ned Starks, the Jon Snows, the... Yeah, well, immediately, maybe not, but I'm rooting for Rhaenyra. I'm rooting for her in much the way that I rooted for Danny. She's an underdog. She wants to rule seemingly by force. We have a lot of people that are already in positions of power and then extremely gray characters. Game of Thrones, gray. That's what we say. Yes, but we don't have the others. So we don't have the, they seem so good house. We don't have the funny, likable underdog in Tyrion. We don't right. have, you know. Not yet, at least. I don't these think. These other characters that could come into play aren't here yet. Yeah. I'm hoping we're going to get those kinds of characters, but we're not going to get those kinds of bigger houses to root for. I mean, we know this is definitely about the Targaryens, and we know that it's about the beginning of the end of the Targaryens. One thing that you were saying, the first episode wasn't too bad as far as jamming a whole bunch of locations and characters down your throat. But I do have a feeling this is going to feel at least broader to us. And it's going to take us longer to get to know more people. Because while there was a lot of characters and a lot of houses in Game of Thrones, it seems to me that they're going to introduce a lot more smaller houses at least in the background, they'll be part of it in House of the Dragon. Houses that we never, if you didn't read the book, didn't even know about. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm wondering which of these there were going to be fully fleshed out characters. Like even the small council, we're starting to get to know them, right? We're most familiar with the Hand of the King, as per usual in the show, Otto Hightower this time. But we don't really know the other people. We get the Grand Maester a little bit, Maester Melos, as he's treating to Viserys. Sure. You know, obviously we know Corliss, but that's from other areas as well, not just his position of master of ships. But did we know much about him after the first episode? I think so. He's one of the characters that we kind of quickly got into. Okay. Yeah. We weren't sure where they're all standing. Of course, we still don't entirely know. We have a better picture by the end of episode two. Anyway, that's the the one thing that I'm struggling with a little bit. The other, and I knew I was going to have this problem. It's probably a personal problem. There's no bigger looming threat here that's going to join our forces. Maybe there is. Maybe this war in the Stepstones, but it seems like it's going to divide us more than anything. In Game of Thrones, we had this almost existential villain, the Long Night, the White Walkers, right? This thing that we were constantly trying to battle against. Now it's just the desire for power, which was a backstory with Danny taking over the Iron Throne, but it wasn't the thing. Yeah, well, throughout the seasons, it was someone else trying to take the Iron Throne. We had a lot of little threats, if you can call it little. Comparatively, it is. You may be right there, but we haven't done our jump yet. This is still setting things up. I think once we do the jump, we're going to have physical giant looming threats, meaning dragons. We know we're going to have backstabbing. We're going to have scheming. We're going to have Damon being an asshole. I think the High Towers, more specifically later, Alicent, we're going to learn to hate. Oh, I hope we learn to like. I'm very interested in them as sort of pieces that remain well, yeah, you might be difficult right. it, to pin down. It might turn into us hating... The Valerians? Well, for sure. But yeah, I already hate them. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. I get but that's what I mean. It is all the center stage this time, the struggle for power, rather than the bigger threat. Now, there was a little bit of the introduction of the magic and lore that I didn't think we were going to get any of them. I'm going to hold off on that. We'll talk about it when we get into our plot. But things like, you know, maybe 
There is this secret we've been preparing for about the long night since all the way back then. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's ties to old Valyria and dragons that we haven't seen in a super long time that had magic at their base. I would love if that at least plays a small part because it's something that I really enjoyed with Game of Thrones and, and back to the books more specifically. What I do like, I was very excited that not for episode one, but that's fine. Episode two, we get a new opening sequence. I actually like that they did that. There was so much for them to go through with episode one. They had a cold open. Mm -hmm. This one they did not. I like the fact that it wasn't on the first one. A lot of our questions, if we had a podcast after episode one, was already answered that we were going to bring up. Mm -hmm. A, same song. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. I don't mind the same song. I thought it would be a variation. That was our theory when doing the prepper episode. I'm hoping, because the opening sequence did change a lot in mm -hmm. Game of Thrones, that the visuals themselves will change. I doubt if the music will. Um, I thought it could just be sort of a riff on it where you would realize the old Jawadi score back there, but it wouldn't be exactly the same. You could argue that they did give us that in episode one. With the background music. Riffs they did. They did. Um, here, it was just the original score. And also, there wasn't a ton going on with the sequence. It looked visually amazing following the different blood areas, lines. the bloodlines in actual blood connecting down to the dragon sigil. That doesn't tell us a lot. Keep in mind, where the blood was leading and those family logos, those will change. And we don't have the time, unfortunately, because we're trying to cover episode one and two. But you can do some research. You can find out every single crest or icon, whatever you want to call it, represents a family member. Oh, sure. Or I just mean, character. again, it, it all goes back to that central thesis. Mm -hmm. There are no other elements happening here. I kind of wanted it to be a play on Viserys miniature. It might later. Set that he's going on. I know that's Valyria, but, you know, something that looked along those lines. If, Viser if Viserys, uh, I say if, all right. I'm going to say things I don't know for sure, so I'm not spoiling anything. When Viserys dies, when we do the time jump, maybe they'll have that last scene with the castle on fire. Well, I was thinking if it looked like his miniatures when he dies, he, they have they the, the dragon being dropped mm -hmm. and broken in this episode. You could see a crack on the dragon. There's so much you could do with that. Absolutely. I was, though, just glad to have a sequence back to see where they're going to go with this. Um, all of the visuals so far, I've been really happy with. I think everything looks great. Yeah, it looks like a FPV drone going through. Oh, I mean the entire show, too. Oh, my not God, Not just yeah. the opening. I've been... It's like, they got the money, they got the dragons, they got the big sceneries, they got the... The costuming. Amazing acting. I got to tell you, I'm having trouble, not having trouble. It's this little bone in my body. I love Matt Smith. I love him. He loves custard. I love custard. Uh, bow ties are cool. <laughs> One of my favorite doctors in Doctor Who, seeing him as such a bad guy, part of me hates him even more than we're supposed to, which is fine because we're going to really hate this dude. But another part of me is like, Matt Smith, holy shit, you're killing it, dude. Yeah, I don't think I hate him enough yet. And I know that that's probably coming, but I do have a fondness for him because it's Matt Smith. He's kind of a little bit of a brat, but he's a dangerous brat. He is. The things he's done already, they're An angry they're teenager. It's he wants his older brother's attention. He's willing to do anything to get it. But that is the bit of intrigue, bit of funny, if there is any, that I'm missing from this show. When it happens, it happens with Damon. I have respect for him still, even though he's a douche. I can say whatever I want about my brother, but you can't. 
Yeah. That was It's key. very true to real life. I'm also really enjoying Patty Considine's performance as the series, which I expected to. He's one of the other actors in here that I'm very partial to. He is Ned Stark, the actor that you know. Well, Matt Smith is too, but you, uh, you can compare them. There's a lot of good qualities about him. Yes, but where Ned Stark was strong and to the point of foolishness for what he believed in, King Viserys is weak to the point that it's getting him in trouble with yeah. everyone. You know that whole when you can't make a decision, you wind up, wind up upsetting everyone? I'm a Libra. Yes, I do. They all hate <laughs> him, and we kind of understand why. Uh, that's the big force that's making us drawn to Rhaenyra right now. Now, in episode two, she starts to step up a little in her own right, and I hope we keep getting more of that, because I don't want it to just be, almost as she says, as a result of, well, we don't want Damon. King Viserys isn't making very good decisions. Here's your daughter right here. We're going to need a bit more than that. But I, I am really enjoying Millie Alcock's performance as young Rhaenyra. I know that oh, we might not amazing. get too much more time with her, which is a bit upsetting. I don't know exactly when this flash forward is going to happen. These aren't spoilers. We see them in the opening trailers. We know that we're going to get a time jump sometime relatively soon where we're going to get different actors in some of these roles. Yeah, every episode is going to be a time jump, but that's going to be the There's one There's going to be visually, a big one. Yeah. yeah. Um, for such a young actor, I hope to see her in more things. Mm -hmm. She's amazing. She very much fits, I think, this universe, the character she's supposed to be portraying. Absolutely. And we're going to talk about the others because there's many as we go along. But let's get into our plot because we have two episodes to cover. So jumping into Dragon Vision for episode one. As you mentioned, we start off with a sort of prologue to the first great council. As the first century of the Targaryen dynasty came to a close, we find out the health of the old king Jaehaerys was failing. Now, this was the king before Viserys. House Targaryen was at the height of its strength. They had 10 adult dragons. That's important for us to know what does height look like because we're not going to get too much into history and backstory, especially given that I have not read Fire and Blood, the book this is based on. But we do know from Game of Thrones universe that when they fled Old Valyria, when there were numerous houses of power, dragon riders, Targaryens were sort of in the middle. Mm -hmm. They weren't the greatest dragon lords to come out of that, but they were the ones that survived Valyria. So what was left when they were sort of in power now? Ten adult dragons, and they had 60 years of peace and prosperity under Jaehaerys. But then tragedy claimed both of his sons, and in the year 101, he called the Great Council to choose an heir in order to prevent a war. That sounds smart. similar to what's occurring now in our current storyline. Over 1,000 lords came to this great council. And we kind of remember we closed the whole Game of Thrones series off with another great council coming to meet and name a new ruler over the kingdom. At that time, we had 1,014 succession claims were heard. Two were considered. And that brings us up to what we need to know. We had Princess Rhaenys, the king's eldest child. So if gender were not a factor, she should have been the one to win. Now, Rhaenys Valerion is our current day, played by Eve Best, married to Corlys. However, the next, the king's eldest male descendant, was Prince Viserys. Well, who do you think the council chose? No. They chose Prince Viserys because a woman would not inherit the Iron Throne. And this prologue closes with a very important message. The only thing that could tear down the House of the Dragon was itself. So starts all the drama we're going to see unfold. And then we shift forward. It tells us it's now the ninth year of King Viserys' reign. 
to put us in place of Game of Thrones. This is 172 years before the death of Mad King Ares and the birth of his daughter, Princess Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, snap. So we're 172 years before he reigns, the Mad King. We're coming off this long time of peace, and King Viserys is struggling to keep it intact, right? To hold it all together. What I'm loving through all this is we're getting the more intimidating throne. Now we have, it's a little closer to what the novels in Game of Thrones look like. Oh, don't go too far, because that's our closer look later on. Oh, okay. I'll wait. (laughs) I'll give some space to that. I don't want to get cut. (laughs) I agree with you. That is... A beautiful sight, as is the sight of our first dragon, which comes very early. We see Princess Rhaenyra flying her golden Cyrax over King's Landing. And the others comment, he's growing quickly. Could soon be as large as Caraxes, her Uncle Damon's dragon. So these are the first two we know about in this world. And in episode two, they actually give us a visual of the difference in size. Yes, and he is bigger. Rhaenyra also meets with her friend Alison Hightower. This is the Hand of the King's daughter. They walk through the city. We see dragon statues, dragon banners. This is still the height of their reign. And Rhaenyra goes to see her mother, Queen Amma. She's pregnant. Rhaenyra's worried about her. We're going to find out this is an ongoing struggle for her. And Rhaenyra's talking about how she doesn't want this to be her position. She would rather serve as a knight and ride into battle. Does this remind you of anyone? Yeah. Uh, This is the new Arya Stark in some ways. But she tells her that childbed is their battlefield, and like it or not, she'll be there soon enough. It's unfortunate that Emma is not in the show very long, because I feel like, one, the character is very interesting, very strong, and the actress does it so well, Yeah, plays it so well. It feels like she could have been a memorable character for this season, at least. But they got to move the story along. Yeah, and we're going to find out pretty early what the goal is with this character here. But before that, we see our small council, the first meeting to discuss King's Landing issues, where Coralise Valerion, master of ships, is worried about this growing alliance in the free cities, the Triarchy, and ridding the step zones of its pirate infestation. He says if the shipping lanes fail, it could beggar the kingdom. Now, Clatchers, if you don't know about pirates, we have a really extensive (laughs) podcast over on Patreon all about real pirates and why they were, what they were doing, and why we look back at it so fondly, funnily enough. Now, we're going to learn more about this later, kind of as a flash forward. Viserys doesn't want to start a war with the Free Cities. They've never had open warfare with them before, and he thinks it would mean huge losses. So he's trying to wiggle his way out of this already. He's trying to keep peace, and he's afraid to make any waves. Mm-hmm. But you're the king. You have, to let, you have to remind people every so often. And we find out it's just one of many issues he's dealing with because next, Prince Damon, his brother, Lord Commander of the City Watch, urges the retraining and equipping of the City Watch. Hand of the King, Otto, thinks that Damon should come to more council meetings if he wants to institute some change. Uh, He's not been doing much. We found out they've tried him out in many different roles as part of the small council. None of them seem to work out too well. And Otto would like him as far away from here as he could possibly be. But Viserys keeps forcing them to include him. In some kind of position, City Watch seemed a right fit because he could institute law and order. Yeah, in one way I can see his way of thinking as far as City Watch is concerned. But if you really take the time to think about it, I feel like Viserys is thinking, 
I can't piss him off. If I piss him off, he will cause trouble, and I can't deal with that. I don't know what to do about that. I'm trying to placate him and just keep him happy. Yeah, he keeps avoiding these problems. This is going to be a theme for the king. He's avoiding these problems. He's avoiding his health problems. He's avoiding a lot. Well, and here in episode one, we see what his plan is. You know, what is he going to do about all this? Well, he thinks it's fine because he's just postponing, right? He's focused only on the upcoming Heirs Tournament. Now, we also remember in Game of Thrones, King Robert Baratheon. Remember, he was only focused on the tournament for everybody to come, and he didn't really want to do any of this kinging, more because he was lazy and wanted to get drunk and have some fun. But Also, it gives you a good dichotomy visually now to see how broke Robert's kingdom was, because do you remember what that tournament looked like as Mm -hmm. compared to this tournament? Yeah, well, (laughs) we're going to talk about this tournament. He tells them, though, it's going to be one week of games to celebrate a new heir. His wife is pregnant. He's confident it will be a son. They have no idea about this, but Mr. Melos has apparently forecasted the outcome. I guess that's part of what they do back then. And we also see that Rhaenyra joins the meeting, but only as the king's cupbearer. She's really being pushed to the side right now. So after the meeting, she goes down to the dungeon where she finds her uncle, Prince Damon, sitting on this iron throne you mentioned. You're not supposed to sit there. No, but no. it's Damon. He just always wants to poke and do well, whatever little thing. where's the parallel do? here? Who was the last person in Game of Thrones we found not rightly sitting on the Iron Throne? Jamie Lannister. Ah. Well, they discuss his position as heir until her father has another son. So soon enough, Damon's going to be ousted. But he gifts Rhaenyra with a necklace of Valyrian steel, just like his blade, Dark Sister. What's great, because Valyrian means something to us. We've experienced it, and we're like, wow, they're just putting on necklaces right now. That's pretty dope. And so does the mention of Dark Sister, of course. Next, Rhaenyra goes to meet with Alicent in their godswood. She's supposed to be focusing on her lessons for her education, but she's not very interested. Now, if you take the time to look at Alicent and Rhaenyra, the way they look there, the way they're dressed, the way they're acting, is very much like kids would. But... Then you look at episode two, just one episode later. Now, granted, it's a time jump. Six months, though. It's not too big. But I guess six months when you're in the kingdom and so much is happening. Oh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. The way they're both dressing differently, the way they're holding themselves, their posture, the demeanor is so different. And I'm talking both of them, but specifically with what's going on, Allison. She's all of a sudden so much more grown up. Well, and this is a world where at 12 years old, you might be engaged to the king. We'll get to that because she doesn't even look 12, this other one. Um, Anyhow, Rhaenyra is not interested, but she does know all about the history. She sort of spouts it off and then talks about how she'd rather fly her dragon, see the wonders of the world. Me too! (laughs) Alicent wonders that she's not worried about her position once her father has a son. This is an ongoing theme, sort of everybody asking her, you know... She doesn't want to be queen at this point. She doesn't want to rule. Yeah. She doesn't want to get married and have babies. Like we said, she's sort of an Arya Stark who wants to seek adventure. I wouldn't necessarily want to seek adventure as far as going into danger, but we've discussed this over the years with being king or being president. If I was royalty, I would love to be the second son or the third and not have to be the king, but... Just have some responsibilities and still be respected. That'd be pretty dope for me. That's what I want. 
The game of just under the throne. And we're going to find out, though, these second sons, they are not often happy with their position. What do you have to be jealous about? All the decisions you have to make. You're going to piss people off. You're going to kill people. You have to constantly fight at the table. I'd just rather be like, what's up, bro? But these second (laughs) sons, they don't get any inheritance. So they're not going to get a land or a castle. They have to go out and try to earn something for themselves. Really? Yeah. Like, don't they just live at the castle, get all the, still get the same seamstresses? No, up until a certain point, if they're a daughter, yes, until they eventually get married off. And if they're a son, then they have to figure out how to make their own way. But we're going to talk about them. We're getting ahead of ourselves. First, let's talk about what's going on with King Viserys, because we mentioned he's got other troubles. We get a look here at the maester tending to him and this wound that will not heal. He searches the Citadel text for other similar cases with no luck, thinks it could be a result of stress. You know, this is interesting. We have heard before that people who are not meant to sit the Iron Throne will cut themselves easily. There's been stories of kings in the past who did this. It's a case of dirty steel constantly cutting you. Your blood is getting poisoned. Yeah, but it's become almost a myth. This is a bad omen, right? There are certain kings that can sit the throne well (laughs) and others who cannot. So what do you think? Is it that... If you try to think about the realities of it, is it the kings that squirm too much in their seats that end up getting cut more rather than the powerful king that doesn't move and it's just good posture and it's just like, this is how it is. Or who doesn't often just sit there conducting business, period. He's out doing stuff. Uh, Yeah. Right? But there is also the thought in the Game of Thrones universe that there could be some magic behind this throne. Uh, when we eventually see the end and what winds up happening with Danny and the dragons, it leaves us wondering a bit. If it was me, I would be like, that's my throne. I want some blankets on it. <laughs> Big ass pillow. Make it gold. Well, and remember shit. what happened with Danny was ruling in Essos. And she said that she wanted a bunch of comfortable pillows mm-hmm. brought in a different kind of situation. <laughs> Anyhow, the maester is saying he will try leeching it when they suggest cauterizing the wound to close it. And that works temporarily, but we're going to see it does not stop it. So Viserys now goes to visit his wife, tells her he's certain the baby will be a boy because he had a dream. Here we go with Targaryen dreams and prophecies, right? He dreamt that the child would be born wearing Aegon's iron crown with sounds of a tournament behind him the bells of the Grand Sept ringing, and dragons roaring. Now, he winds up being right. Mm. And this is a point mentioned very frequently with GOT, so I don't doubt it that there is some sort of visions that Targaryens get with their dreams. Now, the problem with any prophecy is it's so difficult to interpret. It's never what you think it's going to be. He thinks this is a good omen. In the meantime, it's going to wind up horribly very soon. These scenes are something I think they did very well is that I can imagine them in the writing room saying, okay, we got to get people interested in this. People are coming in. They're going to compare us to Game of Thrones and we need to get them on board. We need to get them to trust us. But at the same time, we have to introduce them to a whole new era, a whole new cast. How can we do that? Well, we will give them great visuals. We will give them great informational scenes with a lot of high tension But also, we got to give them action right away. And they did really well doing that. Well, with episode one particularly, that's why I said it's not until two that it kind of begins to be a lot. The quicker cuts, the back and forth, the lots of information thrown at us here. I'm getting it. I'm getting this relationship between the king and his wife. 
unfortunately, what's going to happen is they're going to make me think really badly of him right off the bat, King Viserys. You know, it starts out with just a seed here. The queen tells him, listen, after this, it's going to be the last. I can't go through this anymore with the children. It's been five in the last 10 years. She's had two stillbirths, two miscarriages, and one that died very young. She's tired. And that's, huh. Understandable. Right. (laughs) It's going to be her demise, though, those words to him. Because later, when he needs to make that decision, he believes if he still has her around, she is not going to be willing or able to try for another child. He winds up choosing the child. But then we switch over to Damon and the City Watch, and we see what he's doing to try to clean things up. He's talking about how the city's fallen into squalor and crime, so they perform this late-night raid where they castrate and mutilate many criminals. I mean brutally. This is one of those scenes we had mentioned. They're not going to shy away from it. They're going to go right at it in episode one. It's pretty tough to see. And upon hearing, the council is upset at this public show he's put on because this reflects the crown, after all. Carry on. You were saying something about my impunity. You are to explain your doings with the City Watch. Your new gold cloaks made quite the impression last night, didn't they? Did they? The City Watch is not a sword to be wielded at your whim. They're an extension of the crown. The watch was enforcing the Crown's laws. Wouldn't you agree, Lord Strong? My prince, I don't Making think a public spectacle of wanton brutality is hardly in line with our laws. Nobles from every corner of the realm are right now descending upon King's Landing for my brother's tourney. Do you want them mugged, raped, murdered? You mightn't know this unless you left the safety of the Red Keep, but much of King's Landing is seen by the small folk as lawless and terrifying. Our city should be safe for all its people. I agree. I just hope you don't have to maim half of my city to achieve this. Time will tell. We installed Prince Damon as commander to promote law and order. The criminal element should fear the city watch. Thank you for your support, Lord Corliss. If only the prince would show the same devotion to his lady wife as he does his work, Your Grace. This council has, at great expense, Better the city watch to your exacting standards. Enforce my laws, but understand, any further performances like last night's will be answered. Again, he's not entirely wrong, but Otto comes in to chastise him here, and we get the beginnings of their back and forth that is seemingly never-ending, right? Here, Otto says that Damon hasn't been in Runestone to see his wife in quite a while, Lady Rhea. And he starts out with the, my wife passed away recently. If I could be able to see her, I'd be spending time with her. Like, what's wrong with you, basically? Uh, We want you out of King's Landing. But David brushes this off. He hates her, never really wanted to marry her in the first place. And Viserys ultimately kind of defends what Daemon did, thinking that King's Landing has been in a state of decline, and this could be a good thing. But we see that the others, they're skeptical, and they kind of just go along with it. What's enticing about this scene is that, one, we're starting to see that Damon is overstepping. He's not getting the councils okay before he goes out into the city, starts killing people, and making a scene. And at the same time, he suited up his army. Now, I can see in Damon's mind, he's like, well, you made me the guy, so I can do this. This is what I'm supposed to be doing, cleaning up your city. But this is the first time we... And everyone in universe, the city, the council, seized the city watch 
with the gold. The gold cloaks, right? He instituted it. It was so natural to us. It was normal. There's even a scene, because uh, we're going to do terrible table reads next month. Mm-hmm. So we were looking through Game of Thrones. Tyrion's talking to Bronn, saying, you have to wear the gold. Everyone's worn the gold. Mm-hmm. People need to know that you are part of... It makes them look uniform. It makes them look respectable. That's Damon. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And he, he so is, he's got good ideas in there. He kind of keeps telling him later, Viserys, I am trying my best to protect you. Uh, essentially, people view you as weak, a weak king. I keep trying to get in and be that hammer fist that you need. Right. I should be your hand all this long, these past 10 years. Why haven't you ever asked me to be hand? You know, he knows that he doesn't really trust him. And every time he tries to prove his worth, he gets put down for it. So... What's left for me but to be that kind of whiny brat kid, the, the role that you're all putting me in. I, I'm sort of, I keep putting, being put into a corner where I have to act that way. But like I say, it's going to be a problem with Otto that we're going to see momentarily. Viserys opens this heirs tournament, telling everyone his wife's gone into labor. And we get the first joust going on. The first winner, a Baratheon, gives his favor to Princess Rhaenys, the queen who never was. And we see her sitting there quietly speaking with her husband, uh, thinking the tournament's so violent because the knights haven't seen true battle in over 70 years. You know, these are sweet summer children. Then Sir Criston Cole, a Dornishman son of Dundarian Squire, is an unknown but proves himself by unhorsing both Baratheons. He's going to be important later. Damon chooses his first opponent, Sir Gawain Hightower, the oldest son of Otto. Okay, so his pick right off the bat is on purpose. He then in a kind of dirty way, unhorses him. And we saw they did a little prelude to this during that council where Viserys says, Otto, you know Damon likes to poke you. Mm-hmm. And he's doing it again. But not only does he defeat his son, does it badly, he then gives his favor to his daughter, Alicent. So just, he can't stop himself. And the final match becomes him versus Kristen Cole. Bad news for Damon, though. He's met his match. He is unhorsed in this scene. And the two continue to fight in hand-to-hand combat until Kristen wins. He yields in a not-so-sportsman-like way, and Kristen asks for Rhaenyra's favor. This is where she kind of first notices him. Who is this handsome Dornishman? And these scenes, with all the violence here, are in a very artistic way cut back and forth between Queen Emma's labor. And that great metaphor of You know, the knights are doing their fake battle out here while the women do their battle in the childbirthing bed. And it's more than just a regular childbirth. It starts off that it's a difficult labor. The maesters say the baby is breached. And they tell King Viserys he has a choice to make. During a difficult birth, it sometimes becomes necessary for the father to make an impossible choice. Well, speak it. To sacrifice one or to lose them both. There is a chance that we can save the child. A technique is taught at the Citadel which involves cutting directly into the womb to free the infant. But the resulting blood loss... Seven house mellows. You can save the child. We must either act now or leave it with the gods. 
Uh, he doesn't even know at this point, still, if it's going to be a boy or not. And we see him reluctantly choosing, picking the surgery despite the queen's protests. And she winds up dying brutally from the blood loss and the surgery. Worse than that, it appears that the child Balon survives, but only for one day. So we now smash cut over to this funeral for both wife and child. Viserys is stricken. Rhaenyra is reluctant to comfort him, lamenting to her uncle that she'll never be the son he wanted. But at his urging, she orders her dragon to go light the funeral pyre aflame. That was kind of a beautiful scene, and they keep giving us these small interactions that Damon and Rhaenyra do have a pretty good relationship. He is there to give her some advice. She likes him. And we also get a telling moment after this where Otto speaks privately to his daughter. We haven't really seen him interact with Alicent yet. He calls her in there. It seems like he's going to try to talk to her. You know, this must be difficult for you. You're still grieving the loss of your mother. Viserys, you know, he's probably feeling pretty badly today. He quickly follows that up with, hey, how about you go comfort him in his chambers, in one of your mother's old dresses? Oh, man. There you go. Uh, I went from kind of feeling bad for these people who are trying to prove themselves, get to this position that uh, it seems like he really does care about Viserys. He's trying to help him. He's trying to deal with Damon, But he's got his own scheming going on, and he's totally willing to use his daughter to get there. And if that weren't bad enough, he immediately calls a council meeting and tells the king, you know, you got to figure out your succession now. Viserys is like, do we really have to do this right now? I just lost my wife and child. Otto says that by precedent and law, Damon is his next heir. And if that happens, it could destabilize the realm. He's also passing worried that Damon might just try to take this into his own hands and kill Viserys, get him out of the way. Uh, the king says this is ridiculous. He would never do something like that. He's angry with Otto bringing it up. And you know what? He will name somebody. It turns out he is going to choose his daughter, finally, Rhaenyra. A decision that's going to be extremely controversial because no queen has sat the Iron Throne and he himself was chosen after his elder sister being passed up. Uh, Damon does not respond well to this. He throws this celebration at a pleasure house for his city watchman. And at some point during the night, he calls Balin the heir for a day. <laughs> this gets back to the king. He's very upset. They have an argument. You know, Damon starts bringing up this lack of trust. He never chose him as the hand, and he doesn't like Otto anyway, a second son who doesn't stand to inherit and needs to scheme himself into power. Also that he's trying to protect Damon. They all prey on you, he says, for their own ends. But Viserys has made his decision, and now he is casting Damon away. It tells him he's ordering him to return to his wife on Runestone. He then apologizes to his daughter for not choosing her earlier, tells her that she is the best of her mother and she will make a great ruler. And this is where he comments, without our dragons, we're just like everyone else. And he gets into this very important secret that he's passing on. There's something else that I need to tell you. Might be difficult for you to understand, but you must hear it. Our histories, they tell us that Egon looked across the Blackwater from Dragonstone, saw a rich land ripe for the capture. But ambition alone is not what drove him to conquest. It was a dream. And just as Danis foresaw the end of Valyria, Aegon foresaw the end of the world of men. It is to begin with a terrible winter, gusting out of the distant north. I'm Rickon Stark, Lord of Winterfell. Aegon saw absolute darkness riding on those winds. 
and whatever dwells within will destroy the world of the living. When this great winter comes, Runeira, all of Westeros must stand against it. And if the world of men is to survive, a Targaryen must be seated on the Iron Throne. A king or queen, strong enough to unite the realm against the cold and the dark. Aegon called his dream the Song of Ice and Fire. This secret, it's been passed from king to heir since Aegon's time. Now you must promise to carry it and protect it. Promise me this, Renera. Promise me. So that's it. We end episode one with Rhaenyra officially being named successor and all the people swearing their fealty. Viserys is already, we know this is hundreds of years before, already worrying about the long night. And knowing that a Targaryen had to be sitting the throne. Yeah, well, it's very much true. And if the long night came anytime around this time, we would have been well equipped as opposed to during the Game of Thrones, we had what we thought no dragons and we had no Valerian steel. We were screwed. But they did win. And that goes back to these Targaryen dreams, man. They're, they're right. It's just a matter of where and when, how it's going to shake out. And you get that feeling that Viserys, he's doing all this out of this sense of they have to. And they have to avoid war. And, you know, we do start feeling a little bit, despite how badly they painted him here, for the plight that he's going through, how he's just trying to keep the peace as best he can. And one would think if the Game of Thrones didn't end up going to so many different houses, kings, and people that were not worthy, if the word of the Long Night would continue like they've been doing to pass from king to king to king so that we were well-equipped and it wasn't such a surprise. So Jason, we still have episode two left to discuss, which is going to be shorter, but let's break here for a second to give our official Dragonfire rating for episode one. On a scale of one to ten, what do you give the heirs of the dragon? Well, it's difficult when it's the beginning of a season, never mind a series. Do I go off of how much I love the good years of Game of Thrones, or do Mm -hmm. I just go off of this with an empty, oh, I don't know. So, you know what? I'm just going to be safe. I'm not going to give it too high or too low. I'm going to go with 8.6. Well, just so you can feel your way out a little bit, season six of Game of Thrones, we both did open up with eights, season seven nines. Yeah, so I think that makes sense. Yeah, I think I'm going to give it an 8.5. It was a strong opening. I enjoyed it. I thought it did everything it needed to do. It didn't blow me out of my seat. Um, but I, I'm very interested. But it gave us that Game of Thrones feel. I'm glad that they weren't afraid. I'm glad that they didn't say, we have to do it so different because we can't compare. Yes. In a sense, after one, I was still feeling it wasn't different enough, though. They hit all the beats because they wanted me to feel familiar back in this universe. And in a lot of ways, I did. But I'm hoping they do enough of their own thing that I like this, standing on its own merits and not in comparison. So I'm excited that we're moving right into episode two so we could see, do we feel it does that? So one fun fact, there's plenty, uh, but we're trying to keep this podcast digestible. Um, (laughs) When Renera is in the main hall and she's being sworn in as the next heir, the necklace she's wearing or whatever you would call it, I guess it's not a necklace, but the... It like secures the cloak. Yeah. 
It has all the major houses, every logo on there. I think it's actually important because if you're the king and you're only wearing your moniker, it doesn't bode well. But if you're wearing a moniker of every major house that you represent, I think that's... You stand for the realm, especially Targaryens who tend to be a little bit up on just the dragon (laughs) Uh, thing. (laughs) We're Targaryens. Yeah, that's amazing, and I'm sure there's tons of visual symbolism and other little things. Like you said, we're not going to catch it all trying to cram so much into one episode, but I'm sure we're going to talk about most of it as this season progresses. And at the very end, if we have the time, once it's all wrapped up, we could always have a bonus episode filled with fun facts and other tidbits we missed. But let's move it on now to episode two, The Rogue Prince. You mentioned we do a time jump here, a small one, to six months after the last episode. We open up on the destruction of the beaches left by Prince Admiral Kragas Drahar, known as the Crab Feeder. Well, this guy's not going away. Once again, they open up visually intense, brings you right in. Ugh, crabs feeding on the men. It's amazing. And in the small council, we get more pushback. Corlys is telling Viserys he's lost ships and crew to this crab feeder. He wants to seize the step zones by force. Enough of this playing around. But we mentioned Viserys is not prepared to start this war with the free cities. He wants to just pay for the ships. He, you know, he sent envoys to Pentos and Volantis to try to settle things diplomatically. Yeah, that's not holding much water here. Corlys is upset. And he points out, you know, Damon's been allowed to squat for six months on Dragonstone with no action from him. This is major. We didn't know this had been happening. Now, Dragonstone is supposed to be the birthright, the seat of power for whoever the heir is. So now that Rhaenyra has been crowned, this is her home. Mm-hmm. He's taking it over like as though he's still the heir to the throne. He refuses to get out. It's going to get a whole lot worse, but not yet. So back to the problem they're dealing with, Rhaenyra suggests sending dragon riders as a show of force. You know, this is, Dad, this is what we do, right? Yeah, we ride they, dragons. They have to do something because as the crab feeder keeps doing these takeovers, he picks up into his army the losers, and his army gets bigger, bigger, and bigger. And he's destroying Corliss's ships. This yeah. is the main portion of your navy, your master of ships. I'm losing boats. I'm losing men. So now if it does come to a war, we're going to be at a disadvantage. Yeah. The longer we let this go on, the worse it gets. It's not a bad suggestion from Rhaenyra. You know, isn't that what you do as a Targaryen king? You can cut the amount of losses by just, you know, showing your force to them. Hey, everybody settle down. We got dragons here. Enough of this nonsense. But Viserys doesn't want to do that, and he's eager to just get her out. You know, just because I named you heir doesn't mean you're going to come in here and actually, like, do stuff on the council. So uh, how about this? I'll give you a little job. We find out that they just lost their lord commander. He passed away sometime in this intervening six months. They've invited a bunch of candidates to court to be considered for a new Kingsguard position. You have to have seven at all times. So he tells Otto to uh, have Rhaenyra go oversee that. You know, go judge that. What harm could she do there? Oh, but she's got ideas all over the place because Rhaenyra, she complies. She goes, she starts hearing the men out, and she realizes none of these highborn candidates actually have combat experience. All except one, Sir Criston Cole. He's that lower-born Dornishman, but he says he fought for a year against incursions in the Dornish marches. He was knighted there by a Dundarian. So she says, oh, that does it then. You're in. You're the man. Now, Otto has been whispering instructions to her. He kind of pulls her to the side. Listen, um... 
these are really big names that you're kind of insulting here. And the king probably wants to keep these houses appealed, but she thinks isn't what he really needs, the best man defending him. Absolutely. And then we're starting to see signs that she would be a good queen. She knows what she wants. She knows what she needs. But as always, the whole season, she's going to get pushback from the surrounding members. Yeah, meanwhile, this is where Viserys is showing his Valyrian miniatures to Alicent. Comments that its capital, Old Valyria, was built into a volcano, much like Dragonstone. There, the dragon lords lived at the face, closest to their source of magic and power. A place called the Inagrion, where the blood mages worked their craft. So, a little bit of that magic talk coming in here. And she wonders if the Targaryens are the next of those kind. But he says, the glory of Old Valyria will never be seen again. And at that, he drops and breaks the dragon piece. That's got to be a sure sign. Oh, yeah. He's saying, we're, we're not those people, man. We're not the same as old Valyria. And now his very own dragon stone piece is broken. Later, she's going to bring him a gift of the mended dragon. And it's the first of many scenes where clearly she is trying to endear herself, not just in a way that the king will be attracted to her or that she might scheme alongside the others, but that he might actually fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what he's missing, not having his wife around anymore. She can talk to him. They're talking about Rhaenyra even. You know, that the king is upset. He doesn't know how to handle this. So Alicent urges that he go talk to her, try to mend things. And we see that he's starting to trust her. She is the only one that he can kind of tell his troubles to openly and commiserate with. But Alicent is clearly feeling a little awkward about this. He's instructed her, you know, you're not talking to my daughter about this time we spend together, right? Which, of course, she wouldn't do. Eventually, she's going to find this out. But she's trying to maintain that friendship and relationship still that she has with the princess. So she goes to meet with her in the sept, and Rhaenyra is upset, saying that she knows the other lords are plotting to get her out of the way. They're planning this new marriage already for her father, for him to have more children, and then one of those would become a successor. They set up that scene really well. Visually, it was amazing. All the candles everywhere, the lighting. Yeah, and yet it didn't feel light and open. Like when we see the Great Sept in Game of Thrones times, it felt dark, almost like a dungeon area. Yes, a yeah. lot of fire, flame, candlelight. It's the way a Targaryen worshipping place would be. A little intimidating, perhaps. I thought that was a really good visual. And after that, we have an awkward dinner where Viserys tries to comfort Rhaenyra saying that he misses her mother also and encouraging that it's okay what happened at the council. She's going to learn in time. It's unfortunate because we saw that Viserys wanted to talk to her and Rhaenyra wanted to have a conversation. But when it came time to it, even in the beginning, he was trying really hard. And he was saying, I want to hear your voice. I want to know what's going on. As soon as she started talking, telling him what's going on, he right away interrupts her and says, it's going to be fine. I went through this. Now, in his mind, he's helping. You got to let her speak Dismissive first. to her. It's unfortunate. It seems like he just tries to, no matter what. Don't rock the boat. In anything. Kingdoms, houses, enemies, and your family. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, she is right, thinking that the lords are trying to get her out of there, get Viserys married up again with some new heirs, because the next day we see... Corlys and Rhaenys stage a meeting with Viserys to propose marriage to their daughter, Lena. At the moment, the crown is perceived as being vulnerable. And a blind incursion in the stepstones is the only way to demonstrate that we are not? To elude a storm, you can either sail into it or around it. But you must never await its coming. 
Do you have a specific course of action to propose, my lord? Join our families. Wed our daughter, Lena. Unite the two great surviving Valerian houses. With the Targaryen dragons and the Valerian fleet bound in blood, you can show the realm that the crown's strongest days are ahead, not behind. I must admit, I haven't given marriage much thought. It hasn't even been half a year since Emma passed. The realm expects you to take a new wife sooner or later, Grace. To strengthen your line and produce more heirs. You could not ask for a stronger match than Lena. And they have a point about uniting forces, these two houses that, you know, his sister should have been the one ruling once upon a time. This will finally bring them together. And also, he can't stand in inaction forever. He says, to elude a storm, you can either sail into it or around it, but you must never await its coming. So Viserys kind of tentatively meets with Lena. They talk about dragons. We'll come to that later. And we see Rhaenyra kind of watching on. Rhaenys is always in the back of these things, just skulking around. And she chooses this time to talk to Rhaenyra, saying that, you know, she doesn't understand the way things work. Whether it's to my daughter or to someone else's, your father will remarry sooner than late. His new wife will produce new heirs, and chances are better than not that one of those will be male. And when that boy comes of age and your father has passed, the men of the realm will expect him to be heir, not you. Because that is the order of things. When I'm queen, I will create a new order. <laughs> Oh, I wish that could be Rhaenyra. But the men of the realm already had their opportunity to appoint a ruling queen at the Great Council, and they denied it. They denied you, Princess Rhaenys. The queen who never was. But they bent the knee to me and called me heir to the throne. Do you remind your father's men of that as you carry their cups? Here is the hard truth, which no one else has the heart to tell you. Men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. And your father is no fool. King Viserys now goes sort of seeking advice from everyone. He's talking to all people privately. What do you think about this Lena thing? What do you think about this Valerian marriage proposal? Right, he's getting tended by the maester. His wound is still festering, by the way. The maester's now trying maggots. Yeah, that looked gruesome. I love how they're like, it's for the king, so we'll put it in this beautiful box that's gold. <laughs> oh, gosh. Can you but imagine you going into ugh. your flesh? Now, I mean, for back in the day when we didn't have many other options, it mm -hmm. is going to take away the infection, and the dead flesh. Yeah, they only feed on the dead flesh. But God, that's got to feel weird. When Achilles walks on my back, it feels like a spider sometimes. And I just I'm like, oh. hurt. This is an open wound. And the fact that it keeps advancing, this is a sign, right? This cannot be good. Six months later, it's not closing. So the Grand Maester shows support of this proposal, saying it would show unity. It's a strong match with the Valerians. But Otto is in the background. He's doing this very cleverly. He's not saying, don't do it. He's saying things like, oh, she is awful young, huh? Mm -hmm. She's 12 years old. How do you it's feel about smart. that? And also, man, I'm so happy it's not my responsibility to marry for duty. 
because I loved my wife and I know you loved your wife. He's really smart and it's obvious that he knows how to manipulate. He knows how to get his way most of the time. He knows when to back off. He knows when to be loud. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked enough about Reese Defons, who's playing Otto. Yeah. Very different kind of role for him to be in. I didn't know if I was going to be able to take him seriously, but I think he's nailing it. He encompasses the character beautifully, but I will always love him in Notting Hill. Right. It's like in the beginning, all you could see, but they've changed his look. He's definitely got a lot going on. Uh, anyway, finally, Viserys talks to Lord Wyman, who advises that on the precipice of a war with the Stepstones, they need the Sea Snake's support. Plus, turning down Lena is just going to anger the Valerians, and they're still jealous of his position. This is not a good place to be in. Hmm. But his troubles do not end there. Viserys finds out, guess what? His brother Damon stole a dragon's egg. I can't believe that. He steals a dragon egg. It's like, I'm not getting my brother's attention. It's been months. I did so much. I'm sitting here squatting on where I shouldn't be. I'm going to go steal an egg and make up a lie that this woman and is on, pregnant. Not just any egg. Not my wife. Not just any egg. The one that was meant for Balon. Who just passed away that he six lost. months away. That's what pisses Rhaenyra off. Oh, yeah. Which, I love... which dragon did, she st- did he steal it from? That's what she wants to know. It was so key where she was silent, but then when she chose to speak up, how she spoke, she had the attention of everybody, and they knew what they're about to tell her is going to piss her off. And the way she responded, I thought, was well done, especially at her age. Again, more like me? a ruler than him. Exactly. She's got to do what she's got to do. <laughs> now, fun fact, this is still rumor, but it makes sense. And I'm not going to break it down because that'll take me 20 minutes. But that egg is an ascendant of, the, of Daenerys' dragons, all of them. Two generations down, mm-hmm. same dragon DNA. From Dreamfire yeah. is the, the dragon that gave these eggs. Yeah, we're going to talk more a little bit on the dragons in a bit. Back to Daemon. He, yeah, he's planning to take Lady Mosaria, who we saw back in the brothel in episode one, as his new wife. In two days, you know, Viserys is invited. But she doesn't even know. <laughs> and she's with child. It's, it's all a pack of lies. She's going to be very angry with Damon later saying, yeah. I'm with you because I thought you could offer me safety, security, my own independence. I'm not here to be part of these games. And make more danger on me. Put, put a target on my head now. Yeah. What are you doing? And didn't even tell her. It's so obvious that he's just, and he is just I want attention. Using her as well, playing with her as well. Uh, but what is with the king? How foolish are we going to get here? The plan is to send Otto and 20 members of the household guard against Damon, uh, the whole city watching his dragon. Crazy. On it, Dragonstone? So Guys, what do you think's going to happen here? Just ask him politely. I mean, he takes Kristen Cole, which is a good look. But they get there. He tries to order Damon to relinquish the egg, disband his army, and leave. You know, you're choosing violence. This means war against the king. He knows the king. What war is he going to wage on him? That's never happening. Also, Chris and Cole was not a good look. That's just going to piss Damon off more. I mean, if this actually comes to a fight, he's probably the only one who knows how to fight. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't matter. This and it does, though. You're right. <laughs> piss him off further. I thought he held his own, though, against him. What's your name, Crispin? I'm the guy that unseated you in the tournament. Remember me? Bitch. What's up? So this clearly is not working. Caraxes comes out to threaten the group until Rhaenyra shows up on her dragon. Talk about a show of force. Landing right there on the bridge and walking up and basically saying, Hey, Unc, what's going on here? I'm right here, Uncle. 
the object of your ire, the reason that you were disinherited. If you wish to be restored as heir, you'll need to kill me. So do it. And be done with all this bother. And she put her foot down. And she did it in a way where it makes Damon feel like, if I don't listen now, I'm really an asshole. As opposed to her saying something that will piss him off where he's like, I don't care if I'm, an ass I'm the asshole, I'm mad now. Well, two things I want to say about that. Yes, the speaking of Valyrian is important because this is how the men who train the dragons speak to them in Valyrian. Mm -hmm. It's kind of their language of power. And it's also a way they can talk in private without mm -hmm. others knowing what they're saying. To us, once she starts speaking English, she wants the others to know. Oh, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. Now they're going to hear what I have to say as well. Also, what she says is true. The only person you're actually hurting here is me. You're sitting in what's supposed to be my seat yep. right now. Uh, you're stealing an egg that was meant for the air, which I am now the air. I know I have a dragon. I'm chill, but you don't do that. And also, I'm willing to call your bluff and put myself on the line here. If you really want to take me out, here's your chance. Kill me. And she just stands there. It was so clever. And I hope this is a view of how the relationship will be when she eventually marries him mm. when they're older. Yeah, I'm so curious as to how this is all going to unfold because I really enjoy the back and forth that's going on with them. Yeah. And you can tell that he respects her, maybe even in a way that he doesn't respect Viserys. Did you notice she's not wearing that necklace anymore? Yeah. She came That's with her dragon. Deal. This is something his brother would not, could not ever do. I promise I'm getting to that in a moment. Uh, so it works. He backs down. He admits. Uh, she's not pregnant, by the way. I mean, she could nope. be one day. One day. Just not today. And the whole time she's standing there, Maseria, well, hold up, in her head. <laughs> Wait, we're getting married in two what days? What now? I'm having hold a up. baby? I'm having a baby? <laughs> you stole a dragon egg? What's going on? He gives back the egg. Rhaenyra returns victorious, but of course, her father is upset. But he gives back an egg. All these little things you have to keep an eye on. And you have to remember this later when he's in power, because he's going to be. Everything we're pointing out is like a brat. Everything he's doing, it's a brat with power. So he's taking over this. He's sitting here. He's doing this. He's going to steal an egg because he's not getting the attention. He doesn't just hand Renera the egg. He walks away and then throws it at her. Yep. Here, have it. You know what I mean? Like a little brat. A hundred percent. And it also makes me wonder how many eggs are lying around? How easy is it to get your hands on one if you wanted to steal one? These people all have dragons, but there's other people in this world that don't. Yes, but if you and I just went in there, stole a dragon egg, we don't know how to make it bond to us. Of we course don't know not. It's going to eat us and kill us. But Unless we had Hagrid by our side helping us out. Well, we do know, though, that in fact... Some of the eggs are going to survive, make their way down to Danny at some point. So it's worth kind of wondering what the situation is with them right now. Those eggs aren't even close to being made. Those are descendants of this egg. Um, and remember, by the time she got them, they were rocks. They were dead. She made them come back to life in the fire. Well, she yeah. And that's part of this kind of magic that we brought up before when Viserys was talking about the Inagrion where the blood mages worked their craft. That's right. And who killed our main Dothraki? Well, she didn't kill him, but who did she the magic? She was working some it kind of magic. a blood magic. Absolutely. So back in King's Landing, Viserys is upset that Rhaenyra took such risky action without permission, and he swears she is still his heir. 
but he's too vulnerable right now without other children. There needs to be backup options, essentially. I'm still naming you as queen, but we got to have some insurance here. Surprisingly, he then announces his intentions, yes, for a new marriage, but not with Lena, to Lady Alison Hightower. Now, talk about a father that doesn't know what's going on. You had Renera's respect. She was saying, you got to do what you got to do. But she was thinking that it was Lena. He should have said, I might go for your best friend. By the <laughs> way, I don't think Allison knew. No. When he said, I'm going to marry Lady Allison, she was like, you are? And of course, this was her plan. But you might want to actually propose to this woman Ooh. before you're just announcing it in front of everyone. Now, oh, by the way, I forgot to tell you, we're getting married. Yeah. <laughs> I know, like it's like recording a podcast while proposing. Oh, <laughs> ah, good one. And this causes a major stir. So the final scene, of course, Corlys is very upset. And he thinks, well, if I can't make it work with the series, I'm going to go to the other brother. So he goes to talk to Damon saying, we got a lot in common, me and you, by the way. You know, I didn't come from ancient blood. I'm a second son. I had to build my own wealth upon my back. I also disagree with what Viserys is doing. He's going to ruin the realm. You've heard of the troubles in the Stepstones. Some nearish prince is feeding Westerosi sailors to the crabs. I've been petitioning the king to send my navy into the territory. But he's denied me. It was never my brother's strongest trait. What? Being king. Crab feeder is backed by powerful entities within the free cities who wish to see Westeros weakened. And the king's failures have allowed him to accumulate strength. If those shipping lanes fall, my house will be crippled. I will not have Driftmark beggared while our king idles himself with feasts and balls and tourneys. I will speak of my brother as I wish. You will not. Waiting in the Stepstones is a chance for you to prove your worth to any who might yet doubt it. We are the realm's second sons, Damon. Our worth is not given. It must be made. That's where we leave it for now. It's a good way to end episode two. Oh. I get it that it's a lot of talking, but that's Game of Thrones. Go back and start watching it again from season one. I thoroughly enjoyed it. The balance is a little bit tipped for me right now. And I said I was nervous coming into this prequel that the people talking in rooms politics was never my favorite aspect. I enjoyed it. I liked the character development. But I enjoyed the other stuff going on more. I knew I wasn't going to get a lot. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, there are some pieces here that I think could be really interesting. I just hope that we continue to expand out a little bit more mm -hmm. with the scope. We get a little more action. Some more lore would be appreciated. They have done enough to keep me hooked. Yeah, just think about this as a prequel to the season. Because we're getting Reyna and Allison as kids. We're getting Damon as an adult, but baby adult. <laughs> The real deal is going to be coming up soon. And I don't think this is going to be a boring season at all. The problem is we know the ending. That's the uh, But challenge. I don't think the outcome 
is what's interesting here. I feel you. And that's why I'm curious about how they unfold after the time jump because I want to feel invested in this house and what's going to happen. And even the dragons, let's get to know them a little more. Feel for them as characters, not just see them lurking as weapons of mass destruction in the background. But I think they do a good job ending this on a cliffhanger, what's going to happen with Damon. I didn't like it quite as much as the first episode, but I did enjoy it. So for episode two, my Dragonfire rating is an 8.3. Although I enjoyed certain parts of the episode better than episode one. And you know what I'm talking about. You're talk- I'm talking about the dragons. I'm mm-hmm. talking about the standoff with Damon. Uh, I agree with you. There was a lot more talky-talky. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go 8.4. I'm only going to go 0.2 down. Well, hanging around the mid-eights is not too bad. Uh, it's not bad at all. For season openers. <laughs> And now it's time to move on to the best part of the podcast, and that's what our Clatchers feel. I don't know. This is our first time doing a Game of Thrones with two episodes combined. I don't know if we, one, didn't talk enough about each episode, or two, talked too much but not deep enough. So we're going to try to figure this out as we go along. Well, we had way more to discuss this time because in episode one, we sort of rolled in the background, the characters. Episode two went a lot quicker, so I don't think they're going to be nearly that long in the future. But yes, we have our MVPs, our most valuable players in this dangerous game for both episodes. Oh, I've been putting MVB still, Bannerman. Oh, I'm sorry. That's my bad. I've been just writing that. I That's thought. either way. We can go, still go Bannerman. Looks like the council is in a fight. <laughs> no, the hand will relent onto oh. MVB. Oh, you're the hand? I am. I'm the king? Ah, we said council. Oh, okay. King's not part of this council. (laughs) Now, even though we're not podcasting every week, we're still going to present to you via Twitter at CKC Podcast, a poll for your MVB. Week one, we gave you King Viserys, Princess Rhaenyra, Prince Demon, Damon, and Otto Hightower. Coming in at fourth place with 8.7% is Otto. He's the man in the background. I have a feeling we're going to see a lot more of him, but this definitely wasn't his episode. Coming in in third place with 17.4% is Prince Damon. Same storyline. I mean, we're going to see a lot of him, and he's going to move some pieces. The next episode, in fact. In second place with 26.1% is King Viserys. You know, this is really hard because, as we've been talking about, he's definitely critical to the plot, especially in episode one, but his moves are so reactionary constantly. Mm. And two... He takes a stand regardless of how you feel about it. If I had to sit on that throne, I'd be standing too. (laughs) More than that, Jay, in first place, with 47.8% is Princess Rhaenyra. We said at this podcast, she is automatically a favorable character. The actress is doing so well and the character is written so well. You have to root for her and her dragon. Maybe we should have, uh, well... For the next one, maybe we should have put him up there. Katie said, it was a spectacle. It has the feel of GOT. The conniving and scheming is already in full swing, so count me in. (laughs) Absolutely. Warren said, yay, I really missed this and didn't realize how much until I was watching it again. I thought the cinematography was amazing and really enjoyed the world building. Love the cast. Can't wait for more. Can't agree more. Once we started watching it, I was like, oh yeah, I know this feeling and I love it. I'm so glad we're back. Sherry Ava, I am rooting for Princess Rhaenyra, but my heart belongs to Matt Smith, a.k.a. Doctor Who. Yeah. His performance excites and ignites scenes even when he is hidden within the walls. He will hold my attention until the backstories come together. 
I think he's going to hold all of our attentions, but we're going to want to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> I love the gift she's showing. It's Matt Smith looking up and there's a dragon breathing fire on him. That must be, you know, who's dragon? Mm-hmm. The Viking says, love the new show. Great cast as well. While she didn't do anything particularly valuable, the opening episode primarily revolved around Rhaenyra. And I knew I was going to vote for her once she uttered Dracarys. Oh, yeah, and I'm giving this opening episode an 8.5 out of 10. Right there with us. Exactly. Yeah, this cast is really good. Uh, There's no one that sticks out where you're like, that person can't act. And I like the callbacks. Some people, I haven't heard any complaints about this show, but some people don't like callbacks. I am a sucker for them. Although this is a call forward, would you say? Because it's in the past. (laughs) Melly says, nice dragons, boring story. Not sure if I will keep watching. Looking forward for Rings of Power to start. Oh, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah. Me too. And we're going to talk about that on our Patreon. But um, she and a lot of our Clatchers are feeling a little wounded <laughs> from the ending of uh, Westworld. I'm willing to bet that Melly's like, I'm not wasting any more time on another show if it's not going to be good. Okay. Well, maybe though we should hold that until we read Sherry Ava's comment. That says, according to a Washington Post review by a critic fortunate enough to watch the first four episodes, you should stick with House of the Dragon until episode three, when the in-depth character development and backstories come together. So the advice is hang on until the next episode to see if, I guess, you place your judgment at that point. Yeah, exactly. And I did write to Melly as well. I said, don't forget that Game of Thrones original started pretty slow. Actually, Christina and myself watched it live and then didn't watch it for a year until our buddy Frank came over and said, no, you got to watch it. And then we were hooked. Yeah. You know what, though? The first couple of episodes of season one definitely pulled me in. And then it was slow. And then again, the finale. Kicked ass. Game of Thrones It's not the finale. It's the penultimate. But we always <laughs> love the nine and ten. Yeah, that's true. Stick with us, Melly. Oren says, I think in the long run, the hand of the king will have the most influence in court. If he survives long enough. And I loved, at official iFans, as the wiry kicker in the greatest football movie of all time, The Replacements. That's what I mean. Up until now, he's had those roles of that one, the one we talked about, Notting Hill. So it's awesome to see him in a different type of character. Absolutely. But (laughs) do you imagine him before he goes and puts on his outfit, staring in the mirror going, you still got it. (laughs) Look at you. In his tiny whiteies? Yeah. (laughs) The Viking responded, he'll always be Hugh Grant's wacky flatmate in Notting Hill. There you go. This is what I love. Digital water cooler. We're all here. We're laughing, reflecting on past shows and movies that made an impact on us, even if it's just laughter. Alex said, first episode was good. Not great. Too many CG environments that looked like CG environments. And the dialogue felt flat. That being, I am looking forward to next week's episode. I wonder if the opening title sequence is going to evolve over the course of the season. Yeah, it's definitely going to evolve. Absolutely. You know, I'm going to give it to the series this episode. Oh. There's a lot of decisions that I obviously do not like. He is pushing the storyline forward an awful lot, and we end up the episode with him officially naming Rhaenyra as his heir and telling her this very important secret about the Targaryens. Yeah. Uh, By episode two, I'm already getting more and more frustrated with him, and I think that's just going to continue. So... I feel like this is going to be my one opportunity. Plus, like I said, I am really enjoying Patty Considine in this role. Yeah. It's probably the best move he ever made. And he did it knowing that not a lot of people will like it, will like it. But um, like everything, his decision there by episode three is going to be moot. But this 
paves the way. You have to have one king saying we can name a woman as queen, yeah. regardless of how much uproar there's going to be later, and people officially swearing their fealty to her if we're going to sure. hope to break the wheel. Well, I can't do Prince Damon because he was such a jackass, he actually got himself kicked out. Yeah, like, he's bad in this one. Knowing that your brother will pretty much do anything just to keep you happy, just be cool, man. Mm-hmm. I'm going Princess Renera. We saw a glimpse of her being her age, but also her having that adult in her. Not just adult, because we see that there are so many dumb adults. She has that leader quality already at that age. She does. I think it just comes out a lot more in episode two. Absolutely. So let's talk about that. So for episode two, we linked them up, most of them. And the four we asked for our clatchers was... Rhaenyra Targaryen, all by her lon- lonesome because she kicked ass. Otto and Alicent Hightower. Corlys and Rhaenys Valerion. And King Viserys Targaryen. Coming in at last place is King Viserys Targaryen, of course, because he is just... Uh, there's no excuse, man. You've been king for a while now. Sending Otto to deal with Damon instead of going himself. We see these... Physical cuts worsening. I think that's going to be his downfall very soon. Yeah, and then tying for second are the High Towers and the Valerians with 5.9%. A lot of scheming. I mean, ultimately, I, I think I'd put the High Towers a bit above just because they won this round of the chess match. The series yeah, does round. propose yeah. to Alicent. Mm-hmm. And Corlys doesn't get what he wants. He does wind up going to Damon at the end. We'll see where that goes. But yeah, that maneuver from episode one worked. Yep. Alicent did what she was meant to do. And something we have to keep our mind on is that it doesn't feel like Alicent is doing this in a nefarious way to take over or to she manipulate. She doesn't really have a choice. Right, she but she's actually pawn. being genuine with him, it feels like. Yes, but she's also just a pawn. Yeah. I mean, Otto's... what choice does she have but to do what her father is telling her? And, you know, she's probably devastated at the thought of losing her friendship with Rhaenyra. Can you imagine? This is going to wind her up so alone. She doesn't actually love this man. I think she's looking at him probably as though (laughs) he's the most quote-unquote harmless option if she needs to marry a man she doesn't want to. He is the king, but yeah, she's just in a really bad spot. And first place with 84.3% is Rhaenyra Targaryen. She's going to be winning this often. It's going to be her, her uncle. I mean, that's a resounding, a landslide of a win for oh, that absolutely. one. Oren says, as much as I like the current season, there aren't enough extremes. There's no shock value. OG Game of Thrones started with Jamie dropping Bran from a tower, and it got worse after. I just don't see House of the Dragon going that way. I hope I'm proven wrong. Ooh, I mean, I, I have to say, the scene in episode one where the queen dies. yeah was pretty extreme shock value, gruesome to me. Uh, The scene where Damon is taking his vengeance on the criminals Mm -hmm. with the city watch in King's Landing. Yeah, it's hard to replicate that because with Game of Thrones, they knew that you didn't have to really know a character yet to have a visceral feeling when it's a child being thrown out of a tower. So we didn't have to really know him that much to be like, oh, what the... F-? But that's, that's how I felt so they, about the queen. That's yeah. what I mean. I got that same kind of shock value. Now, I didn't really get it from the carnage in the opening of episode two with the crab feeder. 
I'm not I just, like entirely sure where they're going with that. Well, you didn't get it because you don't know anyone who's being, who's dead there. But what I got from that was, wow, that visually looks awesome. <laughs> yes. By the way, did you notice Damon referring to Kristen as Crispin? Is that a nod to Matt Smith's doppelganger, Crispin Glover? Or is he threatening to burn Kristen to a crisp? <laughs> I wouldn't call them doppelgangers. They're just both very pale. But Crispin Glover is a way more weird. The Viking said who else could be MVB this week but Rhaenyra. She temporarily, perhaps, single-handedly put down an insurrection. I don't know where all the haters are coming from. I love this show. 9.5 out of 10. Me too. It's so intriguing. It's so well done. Uh, Then he gave us a great article. Seven details you might have missed in the latest episode of House of the Dragon. You click on that, and it's really interesting readings. We touched upon some of them. We just don't have time, unfortunately. That's another reason to follow us at CKC Podcast. Sherry Ava, The House of the Dragon, Season 1, Episode 2. Princess Rhaenyra Targaryen earned the most valuable bannerman with her growth and display of every emotion in an episode. Trust, loyalty, humanity, cunning, bravery, and disappointment. Her gifts are on point. <laughs> Additionally, she flew her dragon to Dragonstone, faced off with Daemon, who is always a guilty pleasure to see, <laughs> and save the day like a flippin' flappin' superhero. <laughs> Thank you, Clatcher, so much for writing in. Anyone else, if you want to write in, please feel free to, or you can call us and leave a voice message. We haven't had one of those in a long time. Call us at ckc.6606. That's 252-368-6606. Leave us a message. And you can hear your voice on our podcast. Jay, who's your MVB for episode two? Oh my God, I'm going to be so original. I'm going Renera. If she won last episode, she definitely won this episode for me. I loved the way she just took control of all those blibbling, blabbering men on that bridge and got the egg back and took control, man. Yes, I too am going to give it to Rhaenyra this time. All of the moves, the choosing Kristen Cole for the Kingsguard because he actually knows how to fight. Forget about all the politics. Shutting down Rhaenys when she tries to tell her, this is not the way things work in this world, child. Taking action on, let's solve this issue. I'll just go make a show of force with my dragon to Daemon. She really is showing not only the courage, but the smarts that a ruler needs. Yeah, the aptitude. And I think that the impact she made on Damon here is going to be important for the future. Ooh, and now it's time for the Summary Showdown! Clatchers who listen to our Westworld podcast are well aware of what this is and how fun it can be. But if you haven't watched that, here's what the Summary Showdown is. This time, we're switching spots. Hmm. So, what I have to do every episode is I have to give the first line and the last line of every episode. And then Christina will pick her favorite line of every episode. And by the end of the season, we will have a Mad Libs. And that was really awesome. It worked really well with Westworld. Well, a Mad Libs, hopefully the goal is that it describes, it's a summary of this season, what happened, the important points. Now, it was really difficult. The first and last line thing didn't add up too well for me last time. I think, though, with House of the Dragon, they're going to have much stronger critical first and last lines. I think so, but... Inevitably, if you can choose your favorite, the best line in each episode, I think that will always win out. Well, that's why I'm so happy to get that role this time. But you go first, Jay. Let's do episode one and two. Tell us the lines you got. All right. So for episode one, the first line is, as the first century of the Targaryen dynasty come to a close, 
the health of the old king Jeheris was failing. The last line was, I do hereby name Rhaenyra Targaryen, princess of Dragonstone, an heir to the Iron Throne. Well, that's pretty cool how the old age closes out and the new one starts up for Targaryens. In episode two, the first line was, Sir Ryan was a strong lord commander of the Kingsguard. That doesn't really work. <laughs> and the last line was, we are second sons. Our worth is not given. It must be made. Well, it's the men behind the men, right? The king's guard, the city watch, the hands of the king. So we lose a lord commander, and Rhaenyra is going to bring somebody new into the king's guard, shaking things up a bit. And on the other side, you have the second sons who are going to shake things up on their own, if needs be, because they're determined to claim their own power. All right, so for the best lines, in episode one, we had, without our dragons, we're just like everyone else. I like that. Aegon called his dream a song of ice and fire, a secret that has been passed to each king since his reign. Mm. But the one I'm going with, the only thing that could tear down the house of the dragon was itself. Oh, that's perfect. Wow. Perfect. <laughs> that feels like a Scorsese mob film where there's narration in the beginning of the movie. And that's what he says. The only thing that can take down our mob was ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then you have the whole movie of them messing everything up. For episode two, I was thinking about that line on Second Sons until I realized it was the last one. I also liked men would sooner put the realm to the torch than see a woman ascend the Iron Throne. Ooh, that's good. But the best one. To elude a storm, you can either sail into it or around it, but you must never await its coming. Coralise Valerian? That's right. That was a great scene, actually. And explains very well why Viserys is not proving an effective king, what has to be done. All well, right. this has been a lot of fun, and it just leaves us with our closer look, where we go a little deeper into a topic from each episode. You've been asking a lot, so let's talk about the Iron Throne. It definitely was different as portrayed in the books to what we saw in Game of Thrones. We talked about that during that show. We didn't totally describe what it looked like in the books. I didn't think we were actually going to get to see it. It's a lot closer to that in House of the Dragon, which is very exciting. The way it's described, the Iron Throne is located on a high platform in the throne room within the Red Keep. It can be reached by climbing steep iron steps in the Great Hall, and the small council has a table at the base of the throne. It's purportedly made from a thousand swords and knives, according to the songs. It's a massive and asymmetrical tangle of jagged spikes and twisty blades and metal, in which reclining is impossible. And as we see, cutting yourself is also... Probable. Mm -hmm. It was constructed by Aegon I from the melted, twisted, beaten, and broken blades of his enemies, or wrenched from the hands of the dying, so it is a symbol of conquest. Here's a quote about it from Stannis Baratheon in A Storm of Swords. Have you ever seen the Iron Throne? The barbs along the back, the ribbons of twisted steel, the jagged ends of swords and knives all tangled up and melted. It's not a comfortable seat, sir. Ares cut himself so often, men took to calling him King Scab. <laughs> and Magor the Cruel was murdered in that chair. Oy. By that chair, to hear some tell it. Oh, there's the magic. It is not a seat where a man can rest at ease. Oft times, I wonder why my brothers wanted it so desperately. George Martin himself commented in 2014... I said repeatedly the Iron Throne is huge. It towers over the room like a great beast, and it's ugly. 
put together by blacksmiths, not craftsmen and experts in furniture manufacturing. You have to walk the iron steps, and when the king sits on it, he's about 10 feet above everyone else, in a raised position, looking down on them. Well, that's definitely a position of power. That makes sense. If you haven't seen, which I'm sure everyone has seen it, just Google it. You'll see that even though this show seems to be better reflective of what what it looked like in the books, they still didn't go as far. In the books, the throne itself, those swords go up like 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. Yeah, it's like ridiculous. It's asymmetrical. It's ugly. Oh, they kept the throne as we've seen it, but they did give us on the sides of the stairs all the way down, all the swords sticking up. The makeup is a little more different. It has that intimidating, scary feel to it. Targaryen look to it. But it makes sense. The steps are steep, right? So you can't just... If you were going to go up the steps now as an adult, you would be reminded of how it felt going up steps when you were a child where it was taller than your waist. So it was like one step at a time almost. And that makes sense because one, remember, there was no guns back then. So in order for you to kill the king, you'd either have to throw something... Or run up There's to the one king. one way up. And it would take you a very long time <laughs> to get up those steps. Add to that all these sharp swords sticking out from left and right. So you're not going to run up to him from his blind spot. Well, and just beneath him is his small council, his guard. To the left or right it's of him. It's impossible, pretty much. Yeah, it's impossible. And it's intimidating. It's very Targaryen. And something that... I didn't see. I had to read this, and I don't think anyone would have picked it up. I love when producers or directors do this. They take the extra time. There are swords from Warcraft and The Witcher melted into this version of the Iron Throne. Well, the throne is important to the Targaryens, but more so their dragons. We heard a little bit about them in episodes one and two. Hopefully, we'll be getting a lot more as time goes on. One that they mentioned that if you're not familiar with book lore, we did see it a bit in GOT, but it wasn't explained as well. And that's Balerion, the Black Dread. We saw the skull in the basement. In GOT, yeah. Right. But here we're getting to see Viserys in front of it, and that is fitting. He was a dragon rider at one point, and he was the last person to ride the dragon Balerion, known as the Black Dread. Valerion was the dragon that was ridden by Aegon the Conqueror during the Targaryen conquest of Westeros. He had been the only surviving one from Old Valyria, having hatched before the Targaryens fled to Dragonstone. Unlike many other dragons, he died of old age rather than in battle. He lived for around 200 years. That's awesome. So that meant even afterwards he had another rider, which was Viserys, but he only got to ride him for a short time before the dragon died. That was nearly two decades ago. And ever since then, Viserys has not ridden another dragon. So that's a little bit strange, but probably points to everything we know about his character thus far. Mm -hmm. And speaking of dragons from Valyria, somewhere in the world are three dragons who once had riders but no longer do. Dreamfire, Vermithor, and Vagar. The last two of those were attached to Viserys' grandfather and father, respectively and remain the largest living dragons. We hear Lena in this episode asking Viserys about Vagar. You know, there's tales of him. He's so big that he can't fit in the dragon pits, and he just flies around free somewhere, supposedly. So I think that was a tip that we are going to see Vagar at some point. Absolutely. And Dreamfire, Rhaenyra mentions, because this is the dragon from which the egg came that Daemon stole, Mm. that they had planned for Balon's crib. So stay tuned for more dragon detection. (laughs) 
Well, Clatchers, that concludes this episode. Thank you so much for still listening to us while we deal with real-life circumstances. <laughs> you know we love the podcast. You know of all shows, this is one of our favorites to podcast about. And that's why we're still doing it. To give you a little more background, Christina has an awesome new job. I'm so proud of her. <laughs> but she comes home at 8.30 p.m. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> So we couldn't possibly give you a podcast every week and in the beginning of the week. It just, it's just... There's no time to even record. Yeah. So, <laughs> But we are happy to be covering it. This is working well so far. There's not really going to be a set day and time of release, but every two episodes we will get coverage out there so that we get to talk about the season. So we'll see you on the interwebs. We'll see you on Sunday when we're all watching the same show. Until next time, this round's on me. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at CKC Podcast. And if you'd like to support Jason and Christina and would love even more content, including bonus casts and movie reviews, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash CKC Podcast. This round is on me. game.